Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, and you're listening to Incredible Life Creator Podcast. My guest today is Mark Gordon. Mark is a witty, down-to-earth entrepreneur who exudes passion, persistence, and perseverance. He's created multiple companies that have performed beyond his expectations, known as a champion for small business. Mark knows firsthand the work involved in starting and achieving success with a company. After all, he's been there many times, taken several professional punches, knockouts too, and survived to pave the way for even greater success. Touted as a marketing superstar by the former president of digital media for the Oprah Winfrey Network, Mark helps business owners give their new companies a running start or pump new life into their existing ones. A compelling author and engaging speaker and the owner of Forward, a full-service marketing company he started in 2004. Mark is primed to help small businesses grow. He combines his personal experiences, his innovative ideas, and simple wisdom with strategies that push companies to stay top of the mind in the marketplace today. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so so excited to have you on today. And, you know, we have several entrepreneurs and business people who actually watch the podcast. So always open to that one little tidbit, that one little that one little nugget information, that nugget, that, 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 that golden gonna, nugget they can take. Yes. Yeah. Take and use. So really looking forward to that. So, well, I'm hoping to share more than one with you. Really excited about being here. So we're going to try to go for more than one. We'll see. I can't make any promises, but we'll do our best. Okay. Okay. That would be great. All right. So just so people can get to know you a little bit. Tell us about you, how you started out, how you got to be doing what you're doing now. Well, it's, it's a long story, but I'm going to make it a very short one. And, and uh, in Canada, we have what's called Coles Notes. I think in the States, you guys have Cliff Notes. Is that right? Yeah. So, we have, so I'm going to give you the Coles Notes version because I'm in Canada. And uh, so essentially, um, I, I got into business or the idea of business at a very young age, around the age of 14, as a result of being bullied in school. Um, you know, I, I, when you're bullied, you you tend to withdraw and do activities that are very solitary. And uh, for me, that became building plastic models. And from that, I at the time, Dungeons and Dragons was very popular. So I started painting Dungeons and Dragons figures for my classmates and charging them to do that. And that was my first business that got me, you know, the whole concept of doing a service and making money. And what I learned from that, that I still apply today is that If you create value for somebody, they will naturally not only treat you better, which is what happened to me as a young kid, all the the kids that were bullying me and picking on me stopped doing so when they got what I needed or what they needed for me. But as well, it it also makes you feel better, builds you up as well, because you, you, it kind of like what you give comes back to you many times over. So when you create value for people, it really does come back to you in many intangible ways. So it's a great place to be. Uh, Fast forwarding, you know, I was involved in a number of different businesses uh, through my teens and and, uh, an interesting business I got involved in when I was around the age of 18. I was a very skinny kid, very, I was short, I was skinny. And I felt, okay, I got to change this. So I joined a gym and this was in the early nineties. And I go into the gym and there's a pro shop there and they sell a lot of clothes. And some of the clothes they sold there, you might remember this, or some of your listeners or viewers might remember, there were these really baggy pants, really bright colors, all different weird patterns. 
and they were really expensive. I mean, they were comfortable, but they were like so expensive. They were like 60, 70, $80. And I saw these and I thought, you know, there's, there's gotta be a way that I could make something like that for less money that just seemed too outrageous. And I'd had some experience with clothing in a previous industry, a previous business that I was in. So I, I looked around and I found a supplier and we, we started making some of our own pants and changing the design a little bit. And we started selling them to all kinds of businesses in around the Toronto area where I am. And eventually what happened was we had a very large chain by a huge order, huge order, so big that I stopped selling to everybody else and concentrated on filling the orders from this chain of stores. What happened was literally days away from being paid. And of course they wanted net 30. You know how some of these big businesses are mm -hmm. just days away from being paid. I go into the store and there's all different staff. Like This is weird. And I see the pants that I'd sold them on sale for like 80% off. How can that be? The entire chain went bankrupt. It was in receivership. I lost everything. I didn't, I, I got no money and I was in debt to the company that made the pants for me. So what was I going to do? So I went and pleaded for my life for the, the company who I owed all this money to. And what they basically did is they handed me a line of women's lingerie and said that I had to sell this women's lingerie to earn and, and I guess pay back the debt that I owed them. Now, I was about 20, 21 at the time. I didn't know anything about women's lingerie, but I figured, how hard can it be? So at the time, there was no internet. Got myself a phone book, looked under L for lingerie stores and started calling all the local stores and every single one of them hung up on me. They did not want to talk to a 21-year-old male selling lingerie. So I thought, okay, who else would wear lingerie? You know who else wears lingerie? Strippers. <laughs> so, so I started exploring that and, 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 and one thing led to another. And in a very short time, I was living a life where I was going to school during the day. I was in college taking business. And in evenings and weekends, I was going from one adult club to another throughout the city, selling lingerie to exotic dancers. And the money was absolutely incredible. It was all cash. And I eventually paid off my debt to the, to the supplier. And once that was done, they gave me the line. They didn't even want it anymore. So I was doing incredibly well. And uh, eventually I had, you know, I had to make a decision. Is this something I want to do as a career selling lingerie to, to exotic dancers? And the answer was no. So I walked away from that. And, and from that, I kind of got into automotive and I created a company called Gold Pro, uh, which manufactured and distributed uh, all the really weird stuff that they sell, that the dealership tries to sell you when you buy a car, right? So you buy a car, they take you in the little office, they try to sell you paint protection film and fancy trim and all this other stuff. Well, all of that came from my company. So we were selling to dealerships across the country, did that, sold that company in 2003. And then I decided, you know what, I've had enough with selling products. And I took everything I'd learned from, from years in business and, and primarily it was marketing, by the way, everything I did, even though we were selling products and services at the end of the day, it really came down to marketing. And I decided to take all that experience and knowledge that I had acquired and I started a marketing company called Forward Marketing. And that has just, you know, been, been going like cruise control for the last, what, 20 years, maybe. And through that, I started doing a lot of speaking. 
And probably over the last 10 years, I've, I've kind of developed, um, I guess, an expertise in the area of customer experience, which is really how I brand myself now as, as the customer experience expert. And that's what I speak on about creating and delivering experiences that get customers wanting to come back and, and using marketing as a tool for helping that happen. So the two tie in together. So that brings me to here tonight with you. Yes. Well, thank you. Thanks for telling that story. And you were quite creative. I mean, you, you found yourself in a bind and you figured it out. Necessity is the mother of invention. It wasn't for creativity. It was really out of necessity. I have to tell you, I was many desperate times over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, as far as creating a customer experience that, you know, people want to experience, What's the most important components of that? Is it something memorable? Is it something uh, stable? Like, you know, like McDonald's, you know, when you go in and you have a, a burger, the burger is going to pretty much taste the same every time you go in. But there's other situations where they have something exclusive or special and it's customized. So how do we create that customer experience? Well, that's a great question. And, and what's interesting is, there's a belief amongst so many business owners that they always have to wow their customers, that they always have to raise the bar to do better. You know, that, that today's amazing is tomorrow's, or sorry, today's amazing is yesterday's and whatever, or whatever the phrase is, but whatever you delivered today that wowed them, the next time they come in, it's not so wowed anymore. You know, they're not that impressed. It becomes a regular thing, you know, and it, it's kind of a downward slope basically, right? The, 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 as much as we try to exceed expectations, what happens is those become the normal expectations and it keeps mm -hmm. falling down the list of, of, of how impactful it is. And you always have to come up with something new. And then that goes down and it just becomes this never ending escalator of having to always do better. I got to tell you, that is exhausting. It is expensive and it's resource heavy to keep doing this. Mm -hmm. So you touched on something really great when you talked about McDonald's and one thing great about a business like McDonald's or really so many businesses is if you can count on something, there's a level of trust that occurs, whether it be McDonald's, whether it be Coca-Cola, whether it be a, a car company or a computer company, if you have that trust that you're going to get what you believe you should get, that your expectations are being met, that's a big part of it. But another big part is, and this is something that any business can do, and here's one of those nuggets I wanna share. There's three things that businesses should always try to hit in their customer experience delivery. And if they can hit these three components, these three traits, they're gonna do really well. And what's really great is hitting these three things not only doesn't cost any more money or any more resources, but in many cases, it can actually save the business money. So you're probably wondering what are those three things? Simply, <laughs> they are to always deliver an experience that is easy, convenient, and stress-free for the customer. That's it. So when we, I just want to break that down really quick. When we talk about easy, it's really the amount of effort that a customer has to put into trying to, to 
buy or deal with your business or buy your product or service or whatever it is, any interaction they have, they shouldn't have to work on it. And if you've ever been to a, a website where you're just clicking after one page and another page, and then you can't figure out how the checkout cart works, or you know you, you want to go into a store but has really limited hours, or the parking is terrible, or you know, it's just a lot of effort, not just physically, but sometimes mentally and emotionally as well. It's just hard work doing business with you. That's mm -hmm. something you don't want to do. You want to make it as easy as possible. The customer should exert as little energy as possible to be able to do business with you. When it comes to convenience, it's really about allowing or empowering the customer to do business with you in a way that works for them. So if they want to reach out to you by chat on your website, or they want to pick up the phone and call you, or they want to send an email, or they just want to come to your place and, and talk to you face to face, it's about allowing all these options to exist and making it really convenient for the customer to take whatever option they want. Because everybody's different, right? Some people are really cool firing off an email and waiting for a response, but other people, and I'm a little old fashioned like this, mm -hmm. I either want to talk to you on the phone and get an answer right away, or I want to go into your place of business. You know, I want to see the product. I want to touch the product. I want to shake your hand. I want to know who you are. That's what does it for me. So a business that allows any customer to do things in a way that's comfortable and convenient for them, big part of it. And then of course, the last part is stress free. And this is the big killer with business because people hate stress, all right? They'll deal with a little bit of, of difficulty, maybe a little bit of inconvenience, but when it comes to stress, we don't handle that well as human beings. So a big part of stress is number one, the interaction. So for example, if you call a company and the person who picks up the phone is really rude, right? Stresses you out, you know? We can't help you. That's our policy. You know, or it's your problem, not our problem. Or, you know, you, you call and you have to work your way through this humongous um, menu system. Press one for this and two for that. And then you get to the wrong department and they move you over. Oh, you, you, we've <laughs> all the been worst. there. We've all been there. And then at the end of it, you're on hold for 20 minutes. And then what happens? You get disconnected. That's right. <laughs> what, what's with that? So, I mean, it's, it's not just that, but a second part of that is the stress of, of really not knowing, you know, and not having that confidence. So when you go to, you know, you're, you buy something from a new business or a new company or a new kind of product, and you don't know, is this going to work? And the company says, well, we can't show it to you, or we, we don't have a, a, a refund policy, no refunds. How confident do you feel going into a store to say, no refunds, no exchanges, no returns. How confident do you feel? Now you're a little bit stressed. You know, it's like, what if this product doesn't work the way it should? What if it's not right for me? What, what am I going to do? You're stuck with it. There's so many points of stress along the entire transaction journey that can be avoided. And it's really, it, again, it doesn't cost money for the business to do that. They don't have to exert extra resources or more people, a lot of times it's just making little, little tiny changes in the way that you communicate to your customers to, to help add that convenience or, or reduce that stress, make things easy. It's so it's, it's really something every business can do in any industry. It doesn't matter whether you're B2B or B2C. 
If you can focus on delivering experiences that are easy, convenient, and stress-free for your customers, that will put you miles ahead of your competition right away. Yeah, that is perfect. And as you were talking, I was thinking about that. You know, right now, uh, a lot of companies have pivoted and they have grocery delivery or, you know, the banks, they were just doing drive-through. And I know as soon as my credit union opened up, I'm going to go in. I know I could drive through, but every time I'm going to go in because I want to say hi to the people at the counter. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I can say hi through the window, but it's not the same to me. You know, I want to go in and see people. And there's something to be said for that, isn't it? Not only for you as a, as a customer getting that kind of interpersonal experience, but even for the bank as well. Because when customers get that opportunity to talk to us as business owners, we learn so much, don't we? Mm-hmm. we how are things? How's business? Is there anything that we're doing we could do different? Uh, you know, how was the service been? You know, or in many cases, you don't even have to ask. The customers will more than be happy, be more than happy to volunteer. Yeah. You know, they'll they'll tell you, oh, your hours aren't that great, or I don't like that that new person you hired. And they're vocal if given mm-hmm. the opportunity. And this is not a bad thing. This is a great thing because businesses won't know otherwise unless they're they're being told by customers. And it's funny, so many businesses are afraid of hearing negative feedback. From customers, you know, but it's 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 a great thing. It really is. I mean, sure, of course, we all want to hear positive. We all want to get those accolades. But when a customer says, "Here's a problem I'm having," this is an opportunity for any business to say, "Wow, why did that problem happen? What was the cause of it? And is this a problem that could happen again?" And a lot of businesses are quick to respond with something like, "Well," No one else has complained. Mm-hmm. And, and you've probably heard that. I know I've heard that. And what they're not understanding is that they're sort of right. See, no one's complained to them. Right. All right. But we complain to each other. We might go on Facebook or we're even, you know, out for coffee with our friends or dinner table conversation. We're complaining. We're just not complaining to the business owner. So he thinks there's nothing to complain about. Exactly. And he might not know that he's being this new term ghosted. (laughs) These businesses don't know that they're being ghosted. I'm in the optical uh, business. So I'm an optometrist and I work at different offices in the same city. And they think they're, you know, the customers think, well, these are different places. So I'll be at this place and they're complaining about that place across the the way. (laughs) And then I'll be at that place and they'll say something about that so you know people are saying something but they don't always say it to you and if you could make it so that they feel open while they're there and you can fix it it's so much better I used to have a private practice too and I want people to tell me what's wrong because I want to fix it I don't want any hard feelings or people feeling not taken care of exactly and I'm curious to know when the people came to the different offices and complained about the office across the street was it always something that was really based more around the people? It's almost always based around the people. It had to do with the service or, um, you know, or they felt like the product in this case, eyeglasses, you know, the product wasn't good or the prescription wasn't right or something wasn't right. And that particular office failed to fix the problem. 
when they fail to fix the problem, they're going to be upset and they're going to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So it either all started or ended with people. That's right. Even though the issue may have been essentially the product, it really came down to the people and how it was handled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think from that, we can pull that, that really, regardless of what industry, whether you're selling glasses or hamburgers, you know, at the end of the day, the people have the greatest impact on the experience. And I think so many businesses now that are going more towards uh, virtual service, whether it be online or, or delivery or things like that, they're kind of forgetting that a little bit. And it's amazing. I, I see with so many businesses how they're going virtual or they're trying to get more automated. And what happens is they're pulling away the human element. So then when things don't go right, it becomes very difficult to bring a human into, into the mix to solve the problem. You know, they're saying, well, just go to our online form or just send us an email. You know, so many sites I see now, e-commerce sites, they don't have a phone number. They don't have anything except a form. So you're, you're putting your information in the form. Many times you're stressed when you're doing this. You want an answer quick. So you input and you click submit. And then, you know, two seconds later, you get an automated email that says, you know, due to an overwhelming number of messages we're getting, we don't know exactly when we'll get back to you, but we'll try as soon as we can. That's not what you want to hear. Mm-mm. Had they had that phone number and you could pick it up and out how old you are, being able to be on the phone and hearing a human voice who can say to you, I understand what you're going through. Let me see if I can fix it. Mm-hmm. There's something to be said for that in any industry. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're, we are human beings. We might be buying something from through a system that's automated, but we are not automated. We are human beings. And there's certain key elements that we want. And one of them is attention. That's what we want. We want to be listened to. We want to be appreciated. We want to be valued. We want to be cared for. These are all essential human elements. And any business that can do that is going to be further ahead than a business that chooses to use AI or forms or any kind of automated system, because you're not going to hit those marks in terms of how you make your customers feel as human beings. And I think what attaches people to a business a lot of times is either the you know person who started it like Steve Jobs you know they they were attached to him and his ideas or they're attached to somehow they're attached there's some personal feeling of like or attraction there so when there's no phone to call and there's just the I call it the computer I I'm not one of those people that like the computer I'm on it all the time, but I don't want to send an email to somebody. I want to pick up the phone and talk to them. So it causes a disconnect. So they become disconnected. And if they become disconnected, it's really easy for them to go across the street because there's no connection there anymore. That's right. And I think this is in large part why brick and mortar stores will never go. You know, people are all, have been saying for a few years now, you know, the death of brick and mortar and with the pandemic and everything that a lot of people have switched to going online. You know, I don't need to go into that store anymore. I'll just buy everything online. I'll go to Amazon. I'll do this, that, whatever. Everything's online. 
but there's an experience of going into that store and seeing the owner or the manager being able to touch and feel a product, being able to speak to someone and say, what do you think of this product that I'm looking at? Or what would you recommend? There's something to be said for that because you don't get that online. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really interesting you, you touched on Apple because my belief from my own experience and when I compare it to other businesses, Apple has always had probably the best support system. When you have trouble with Apple, not only is there a way, if you want to go automated, their website is extremely resourceful. But at the end of the day, you can call that 800 number and a real person will pick up the phone and spend as much time with you as needed to solve your problem. And if they can't solve it, they'll level it up. They'll take it to someone who can. They will not abandon you. And they will do as much as is needed to take care of it. On the flip side, you look at a company like Facebook, which has no contact for any type. And, and I, I know about six or seven months ago, my Facebook account was hacked. And, and I, I got basically locked out of my own Facebook account. And within hours of being kicked out, my account got disabled. There was, there's no phone number. There's no email. There's no person there's no nothing there's a a, a a very small automated form if anyone who's gone through this they'll know there's a quick little form that you fill out and basically you plead your case and then they say okay we'll review it and get back to you at some point well that's some point in facebook is actually months it could take two to three months before they get back to you and whatever decision they make is the final decision so in my case they came back and said yep it it doesn't qualify and and, and, and things don't add up, right? So we're, we're killing your account. Now, luckily, I had a colleague of mine who was a, a Facebook vendor and he was able to, to pull some strings and get the account reactivated, but it was awful. I was reaching out to people on LinkedIn who worked for Facebook and I'd say, you gotta help me. Who can I talk to? And every one of them just came back and said, yeah, not me, not my department. Nobody would even point me in the right direction. I mean, this whether you like Facebook or not. And I think we can all agree to a degree, we all hate Facebook, don't we? We really do. We hate it, but we're on it all the time. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting that I don't think we have any affection for it. I don't think we have any real respect for them as a company in large part because, I mean, obviously they do what they want, but we don't feel valued and appreciated and listened to. And we know that if there's a problem, with, with a post that we've put on or something got taken down or, or our account got hacked, really there's nobody there who's going to listen or who's going to care. You are on your own. That's true. You just post things and hope they're going to stay there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or that you're the one actually posting them and someone hasn't hacked into your account. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where, where's your loyalty? I mean, you know, it, there's, in many situations, we deal with companies that we absolutely despise. But also in many of those cases, we continue to do business with those companies. And there's something that I like to refer to as uncertainty avoidance. And, and I'm going to share a nugget. I think we've shared maybe a few nuggets already, haven't we? I'm going to share another one. I'm going to share another one. Just because your customers are continuing to buy from you, and they may appear loyal, it doesn't mean they like you. 
It doesn't mean they like your business. It doesn't mean they like your products. It doesn't mean they like your customer service. But the fact is they might either be locked in. And a great example is for like your credit card company or your bank. A lot of people can't stand their banks or their credit card companies. They're stressed. They're stressed dealing with their banks. They, they're stressed having to deal with any issues on their credit card company. So why would they stay? They stay because the stress of dealing with that institution is still lower than the stress of moving to another financial institution. Because they don't know. They might say, oh, my bank is awful. They, the service charges are high. The service is terrible. They don't care about me. I'm just a number. But if I change to a different bank, maybe it won't be any different. Maybe they'll still treat me just as poorly, if not worse. So maybe I should just stay where I am. Because as bad as it is, at least I know what I'm in for, right? That's the mentality. So if people keep coming to your business every day and they're always buying whatever it is you have, maybe they're either afraid to leave, they're locked in, or there's just nobody else. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're the only bakery in town. So if somebody wants fresh bread, they have to go to you. Or maybe you're the only place in town, you know, the only auto mechanic in town. I mean, there's any number of situations like that. So you think, wow, I'm busy all the time. I repeat business all the time. People are loving me. And what happens? You become complacent. You start treating people poorly. You, that whole easy, convenient, and stress-free experience goes out the window because you're too busy and customers keep coming back. But all it takes is for someone else to open on the other side of the street who does the same product or service. You know this. That I was thinking of. <laughs> and where are people going to go? That's right. Mm -hmm. So with regards to that nugget, it's important to understand, number one, why people are coming to you. Do they really love you? Is that the reason they come back? They love you. They trust you. They know you. They know you have their back. That is what loyalty is all about. And, and the second part of that is to never forget, you always want to create those easy, convenient, and stress-free experiences, regardless, regardless of whether you have a lineup at the door every morning because your product is so amazing. Make every customer leave with a smile. Make every customer leave knowing that you really appreciated that they came, even though there may be no one else who can do that or nowhere else to go, you're still glad that they picked you. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. True. So I had a question about like a luxury brand. So I noticed in my profession and in many areas with Amazon and eBay, everywhere you look, you can only get the same product. <laughs> it might be a different seller, but you know, even in the optical business, the, the, the chains and stuff, they have about the same level of quality of product compared to if you go to a private practitioner where they're going to have a lot of the high-end stuff, but you're going to also pay for the high-end stuff. And um, the other thing I noticed is that the malls are emptying, the buildings are emptying of these big stores. But in those malls, now that the mall owners can't get the big stores to be in there, all these little boutique owners are coming in and they're getting their rent at a really great price because they just need somebody to fill that space. So how do people create a brand that 
is exclusive, that is luxury, that stands apart from others when there's so many lookalikes, if you will. So you're saying like, if I ran a business and I wanted to introduce my own product kind of under my name or just simply reselling someone else's product or even reselling someone else's product, but making it exclusive. Like there's, you know, there's some luxury brands where you walk into the store and maybe they'll sell to you and maybe they won't. If you, <laughs> your lucky day, they, they'll say, Oh, we'll, we'll grant you to see this product. But if you don't look snick enough, you know, maybe you don't get to see it. How well, do you make it luxury? And how do you give that experience that luxury experience? Well, that's a great question. And, and the interesting thing about luxury brands is a lot of them are defined by really intangible things. So it could be marketing. It could be a celebrity. You know, you look at a, a great brand like Tommy Hilfiger, for example, and a lot of people don't remember that there was a time when Tommy Hilfiger couldn't give away his clothes. But a very famous, I believe he was an NBA player was on a talk show. I forgot his name, but he was on a talk show many, many years ago. And he was wearing a Tommy Hilfiger shirt. And that brand took off. And this guy wasn't paid to wear the shirt. He just liked it and he wore it. And all of a sudden people were like, who's Tommy Hilfiger? And it just took off. Had that guy not worn the shirt, where would we be? Other brands you know, they're, they're popular through marketing. And a great example, uh, I, I was a teenager through most of the 80s. And, and anyone who, uh, who was will probably remember Benetton, United Colors of Benetton. Mm -hmm. Everywhere you went, someone had a Benetton sweater. And they, were, they sponsored a Formula One race team. And this was the piece of clothing to wear in the 80s, was a bright Benetton sweater. When was the last time you saw somebody wear a Benetton sweater? Never, but they're still around. I don't know who's wearing them or who's buying them, but every now and then I still see a United Colors of Benetton store. They're always empty, oddly enough, but a lot of these brands, there's, there's nothing that's really changed. Benetton's still a great product. The quality's still there. And Tommy Hilfiger has fallen out of style. Nobody's wearing Tommy Hilfiger anymore, but that's still a great product. The quality is still there. There's a lot of brands that, that, that go up and down that are popular than fall out for any number of reasons. What I find the brands that have that staying power in large part, there's a couple of things. Number one is, is quality and design. And it comes down to, to again, building that trust. So I want to use Apple. Everyone likes to use Apple. It's almost a bit of a cliche to use Apple as an example, but it is a great one that when you buy an Apple product, you know there's going to be certain things about it you can count on. You know it's going to be built well. You know it's going to work well. You know it's going to have certain features that you've just come to, to expect from their products. But on top of that, they keep innovating. They keep changing. A lot of brands, I think, rest on their laurels. Right. They, 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 they built up a name and then they just kind of, you know, ride it and, and maybe the quality is not there anymore or the style or the innovation is not there anymore. And, and people get tired and they look for the new shiny object. Mm -hmm. The second part is to back it with the service. And again, this, this can be difficult 
depending on the kind of product it is, whether it's a service-based product or an actual physical product. But you need to create that experience from the time people first connect with you to the time they leave and then how you maintain that relationship through some form of communication, whether it be email or through conventional mail or things like that. But that whole experience should be part of, of the journey. So uh, a great example is if you go to a Rolex store, mm -hmm. that store is going to be very different than if you just go to Macy's to look for a watch, right? They will, it, it's very, the way, not only the way the store is laid out and the product, of course, but the way, the way they treat you, the way they speak with you, the way they show you the product, everything's very slow, very deliberate. You know, they, they, they wear white gloves when they hold the product, you know, it's all these little things. So with regards to a luxury brand, you have to charge more to not only, obviously you, you want to qualify the product, right? A, a, a Porsche is expensive, not just because it's built better, but also because it's a Porsche, it has to be expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. It has to be. Because if they lowered the price of a Porsche, which they probably could, and it became in the same price as a, as a Toyota, well, all of a sudden driving a Porsche is nothing special. All right. When you see someone wearing a Rolex watch, it says something, not just because it's a Rolex, but because you know that person must do very well. It's a reflection on them, right? A lot of things that we surround ourselves with physically or what we wear are reflections upon ourselves. So you know, not only is it part of the experience of what you buy and how you buy it, but also how it resonates with us. And, and back to, you know, Benetton, there was a time when you wore that sweater and you felt really good and you're walking down the street in your bright sweater. Today, you wouldn't feel that way. You might even feel a little weird mm -hmm. walking down the street with a bright Benetton sweater. So it is very tough. And this is why luxury brands like, like um, uh, you know, high-end purses, are, are a great example. You know, they, they come in and out of style, you know, and uh, I, I think any woman who, you know, you would name, you know, the top purses that they like. Mm -hmm. and, and, and normally I can, believe it or not, but at the moment, well, I, yeah. I, I can't. I mean, I was thinking of, you know, really old brand, which is like Chanel. I love Chanel, you know, or other people like Louis Vuitton. Um, you know, those brands have been around for a long time and they seem to be able to stay a little bit longer than some others. Right. But they do fall in and out of fashion. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and you look at, um, oh my goodness, what's that, uh, that purse company named after uh, it's a woman's name. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot her name. Oh, well, forget it. I can't remember her name now. You'd I know like the, the name. Betsy Johnson ones too. And those, those kind of came and went, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't buy a lot of purses. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But, um, but, but, you know, the problem is, is you're dealing with so many intangibles and, and a big part of it is marketing and uh, it's reputation, it's quality. If you're going to introduce a luxury brand, there are so many things you have to do perfectly and combine that with a little bit of luck. It's a tough market segment to be in, to be honest with you. It really is tough. If I had to start a business, I would not ever try to go into the luxury segment. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> it, 
um, just, uh, going in a different direction with the question. So um, right now we have all these things happening where people are going online or they're, um, they're having to change the way they do business every day. So as you're working with um, entrepreneurs and businesses and companies, what are some of the outstanding pivots or strategies or things you've seen people do that are really creative that, you, you know, something new that they had to do to, to really handle what's going on right now? Wow. Well, I mean, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of businesses had to change uh, not only their offerings, but also how they offered them, even their, their current. So, I mean, obviously there's, there's tons of stories of, of um, businesses in the food industry that, you know, they, they didn't do takeout and now they were doing takeout. Now they were doing delivery, but they were being innovative with how they packaged the product. They would change their product offerings. But even then you had a lot of businesses that would do things one way, but stay in the industry. And I'm reminded of, uh, I had a client of mine who she, she baked cakes and, and she would bake cakes for, for, you know, weddings and birthdays and bar mitzvahs and all kinds of anything where you needed a big cake. Well, obviously with the pandemic, there was none of that. And if you're not going to have a big party, you don't need a big cake. Yeah. So what was she going to do? So what she started to do is she made little cakes. It was a full out layer cake, fully decorated and everything, but they were like about that big in diameter and about that high. And what she started doing was marketing them to people directly. So if it was something just you and your family, or maybe you had a couple guests over, you would buy four or five of these little cakes and everybody could share them or whatever. So instead of buying a big cake that would cost you a hundred dollars or even, you know, two or $300, depending on the cake, now people were okay spending 50 or $60 on three or four of these smaller cakes. And she made a killing and she's still doing, even though things are starting to open up, people still love these little cakes mm -hmm. and it's great. You, you know, you get two or three people together or, or let's say, you know, you have a, a, some couples over for, for dinner or company, you order two of these cakes and everybody gets to share them. You know, there's a tiramisu, there's a black forest cake, there's a chocolate fudge cake, whatever. And, and you can all share them and everybody gets, you know, almost like a little sampling. It's really cool what she's done. Uh, for me, speaking personally, I do a lot of corporate speaking. And obviously with the pandemic, all kinds of conferences, every, basically every conference shut down. So obviously a big pivot to that was doing things virtually. But even then, there was a big spike in virtual and then it kind of fell off because people realized at the end of the day, virtual sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Watching someone do a presentation for an hour, an hour and a half, it's, it, it gets tiring. So I, I was kind of figuring out some, some other avenues. The marketing was still good, but I, I, I was just looking for other avenues, things that I could do. And a client of mine, asked me, he, he, had, um, he had a business and he wanted to start giving out masks. And he asked me if I could provide him with some masks that had his company on the mask. And I thought, that's a pretty cool idea. So 
I, I hunted around and I had connections and I, and I sourced out some masks and they were really cool. And we, we screened his message and his logo and everything on them. And he gave them away and they were a hit. And I thought, you know what? Who else needs masks? The schools. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to universities and colleges across the country saying, you know, your students are coming back. Why are you making them bring their masks from home? Build up school spirit and give them a mask with the school colors and the school logo and the school logo or sorry, saying or whatever hashtag you want to put, whatever. Use it as a team building type product. Sold hundreds of thousands of masks. Who would have thought I was in the mask business? I was making more from selling masks than I was from speaking. Wow. That's really being creative and, you know, taking advantage of the opportunity that was wide open. Yeah. Yeah. But you still had to see it. You still had to notice it. Yeah. And, and you know what? Someone just asked in passing, it would not have occurred to me, you know? So sometimes it's, it's opportunities will, will sometimes appear and you have to recognize them, but other times too, you really need to just, you know, keep your eyes open and, and see what's out there. And, and, you know, it, there's, there's no right or wrong way. I would say to any business owner, a lot of, you know, a lot of people have asked me over the years, how do you, you know, how do you grow? How do you seek new opportunities? How do you recognize an opportunity? And my view has always been just be open-minded. Don't be afraid to say yes to something. You know, a lot of people say, well, that's not my industry. I, I won't do that. That's not my industry. Well, maybe the current form it is, is not your industry, but a little bit of a twist on it. And it could be your industry. You know, a lot of products and services with a very slight twist can be adapted from one industry to another, whether it's a design or just packaging or just presentation. You know, that, that woman I spoke about who baked cakes, she did not sell direct to the public. She sold through, through a lot of bakeries or she'd sell to, to event planners or things like that. And then all of a sudden she veered and she went after a whole new market because the people she was selling to had never heard of her. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that she'd been in business for 10 years and that she was selling you know, hundreds of cakes, you know, to, to all kinds of groups. They didn't know that she just, to them, she just popped out of nowhere and said, I'm making these little cakes, but, but she did it. She pushed on and, and I think she's doing better now than she was before the pandemic. Yeah. And it sounds wonderful. I was visualizing all those cakes. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. I have to say, I, I've had a couple of my own. I've, I've ordered from her and uh, it, it's pretty addictive to have a little cake. Yeah, I bet it is. So at this point, I'd like for you to um, tell people where they can um, get in contact with you and also what services you're offering right now that they may want to take advantage of. Well, primarily, I am a speaker and consultant. So I would say to anyone, if they're looking for ways to attract more clients, be it through the kind of services or the kinds of experiences they provide, or they want to use some kind of innovative marketing method or some kind of campaign to attract them, I'm the guy. I can help you with that. And what's really cool is you deal with me directly. So one thing I offer to everybody, and, and this goes for all of your viewers and your listeners, if they go to my website at markgordon.ca, that's Mark with a C, so M-A-R-C, 
G-O-R-D-O-N.ca. If they go there, they go to the contact me page, they can take advantage of a 20-minute idea session. And what that is, is it's a talk much like you and I've been doing, free-flowing. I will answer whatever questions they have. I will share with them whatever knowledge and experience I can to help get them going. No obligation, no commitment, no charge. And if they want to continue that and work with me to some degree, great. If they want to take with what I've, I've shared with them and run with it and see if they can create something special, that's cool too. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I want to ask you a personal question. What gives you the most happiness and fulfillment in your life at this point? Well, I mean, that's as a, as a dad, that's an easy question. Watching my kids succeed and do well from a personal perspective or sorry, from a, a, a professional perspective, it is uh, definitely seeing clients succeed who, who were, who had some challenges and seeing them really just making those little pivots, those little changes, those little adjustments, and, and then them calling me and saying, wow, you know what? I'm so busy. I can't, I can't handle it. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, or they'll say, you know, our, our web traffic has gone up 50% or, I mean, this is amazing. And even though, you know, my company, we may have helped with that, they get all the credit because at the end of the day, they're, the buck stops with them. So you know, no matter what I do for a business to hear that they're succeeding, that they're doing better, that just makes it worth it getting out of bed every morning. That is awesome. Thank you. And thanks for being on the podcast today and for sharing your nuggets. And it's been very interesting and fun. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So I have one last question. What is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? Wow. Well, that's simple is know when to leave the office know when to turn off the phone and, and realize that as much as you feel you have to do everything now and do everything today to really understand it's okay to get to it tomorrow. Because unless you're an emergency room doctor, chances are everything will be just fine if you don't get to it right away. I love that. Thank you so much, Mark. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.